In the past, humanity used various materials to lead water and sewage in and out of homes and cities. We have drilled holes in timber stamps, vitrified clay, melted copper and lead, galvanized steel, molded concrete, and extruded plastics. Each material has enjoyed its time in the attention of builders. How will the future of plumbing materials look like? is something we will discuss today. My name is David Yerot and I'd like to welcome you, as well as our guest of honor, to this episode of our podcast The Waves of Vavin. Warm welcome to Vavin Circularity Manager Ronald Bao. How are you doing, Ronald? <laughs> yeah, good morning. Thanks, Davis. Yeah, quite good, quite good. It's uh, the holiday season starts popping up. And are you so, about to uh, depart for your holiday as well? That would be nice in, let's say, two weeks' time from now. Yeah, I first have to save enough CO2 before I deserve <laughs> my holiday. Are you working on a carbon budget, by the way? Like, do you do carbon budgeting for your lifestyle? Well, I'm paying attention to it, absolutely. In our family as well, in terms of, uh, for instance, switching lights off and uh, showering not too long and the way you uh, handle waste, etc. And taking the bike instead of the car, all those kind of things. But it's not that we have an extended administration in Excel to register everything that we do. You know, I did that actually like that. for a year, both cost-wise and carbon-wise. And the fact that I did measure... It actually forced me to cut down on 60% of carbon when I saw the numbers. Yeah, did you record then also the number of instances you went to the toilet and how many minutes you took the shower? Actually not. Those were out of the equation, beyond system boundaries, ah. I would say. Ah. <laughs> to see how much drinking water you use in your toilet, for instance, it's significant. And also, uh, how much liters of water you use for your shower on an annual basis. It's incredible. I think that I read that an average Swede consumes roughly 200 liters of fresh water a day. That's a scary number on its own. But Ronald, could you please introduce yourself? What do you do at Varvin and how does it feel to mm. have your role? Ooh, uh, how shall I describe that in a few lines? What I have been able to do is I made work for my hobby and I am part of the global sustainability team within Bafin. So we have basically the task to embed and roll out and implement all the initiatives related to CO2 reductions in our own plants, in our own business environment and together with suppliers and customers. My particular focus is circularity. So that means I'm focusing on increasing the usage of used materials in our products and also making sure that our products will come back sooner or later after their lifetime, becoming useful raw materials again. So by doing that, you get basically kind of circular business model. And of course, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's a philosophy. So we do that step by step. What's the status on the work at the moment? You said that we have a philosophy, direction, vision. How far have we gone on transforming from linear to circular as of now? If you consider that the European plastics market in itself is roughly 10% circular, 
That means that out of all the plastic waste, which is generated every year, 10% is coming back as recycled and offered for new products. You could say it's more than zero, but it's far from 100 where we have to go to. So there's a huge path ahead of us, a huge transition that we have to make, not only within Waven, but as a sector in itself. And we are at Waven, I believe, slightly behind at 8% in Europe. So we are planning now to catch up, to accelerate on this. We want to be leading this transition again. And what are our internal targets in accelerating the use of recyclates? Many companies do, they set targets on CO2 reductions. That's what we have done as well within Orbia, but also within Wabian specifically. Mm -hmm. So we have specific targets on what we call scope one and two and scope three. And scope one are the direct emissions and scope three is the majority normally of the CO2 footprints. These are all indirect emissions related to raw materials, for instance. We have an objective of minus 30% in 2030. Most of our materials are made from monomers and polymers. What other materials are there to be used instead of virgin polymers and monomers that come essentially from oil? One of the strategies is, of course, to reuse the polymers made from fossil raw materials. The products that we can collect today in the market as post-consumer have been produced more than 60 years ago. So that's part of our reality that we have to use the raw materials produced 60 years ago. So that's the recycling part of the business, which also has a dramatic decrease of CO2 footprint. Of course, the recycling market is also still maturing, so we're still struggling with quality of recyclates. That means that recyclates are not always applicable in all product applications. Then bio-based alternatives come on the radar. We're also working on that, and that's indeed a nice alternative to fossil-based. I was wondering, since you said that there are certain requirements and that recyclates cannot be used, which segments or usage areas do you see the strictest requirements? That's in basically two areas. One area is the drinking water applications that we have, where basically fresh drinking water is distributed through our products. And you can imagine that we have very strict hygienic requirements for those applications. And one of the struggles which you have in recyclers is that you do not always know the exact source of where the material comes from. So as long as that is not on a matured level, it, it will be difficult to convince the standardization and certification bodies that recyclers is a good alternative for drinking water. So that's one area where we have strict requirements. And the other area where we have strict requirements is where we have pressurized pipes, so where there's a pressure within the pipe, and also where we have hot temperature fluids coming through. So those applications are ideal to convert to bio-based then instead. Wow. And we'll come to that. But if I sum this up, then basically drinking water, pressurized systems, and hot water systems are not fit to use recyclates. Yet. Yet. And is there any chance that the quality of the recyclates would be improved in the near future? Indeed. What we see now, the whole recycling industry basically is very much focused on efficiency. It needs to be economically feasible. Years ago, it was difficult to earn money with recycling. In the last few years, it seems to be a profitable sector, but it means it's difficult to collect enough material so you have the right economy of scale. What you see a lot at recyclers, they are combining several sources, plastics though, but different kinds of plastics, and they combine it into one flow. So that means, and ultimately, that you have a fluctuation of quality within the stream of material that we buy. 
And that fluctuation of quality is one of the challenges we're facing. So when you have a very good mono stream, basically, as waste stream, that's ideal. Because then you have a more stable quality. You know exactly when the material comes from, what's in it. If you want to collect wood and you have a waste stream of glass and wood, glass is a nice raw material, wood is a nice raw material. But if glass and wood combine, then you could see glass as contamination. It doesn't mean that it's wrong stuff or toxic stuff. No, not at all. It's nice stuff, but it's not what you're looking for. So you want to have clear wood streams or clear glass streams, and the same in plastics. Could you give an example of a good monostream in reality today? Yeah, well, we have some initiatives in the market where we are collecting old pipes and we bring them back to recycling. So we are recycling them from pipe to pipe. So that's a better example than, for instance, plastics from household waste streams, where you have a lot of variety of plastic streams. The difficulty with uh, recycling is logistics costs. So what you have to avoid is that you move around with the material a lot. Especially as long as the material is still a pipe, you also transport a lot of air because they are hollow. It's not granulated yet. So what we aim to do is to collect straight from the building sites and bring it straight to the recycling. That's not always possible. So we have to buffer them until we have a decent volume collected and then bring a full container or a full trailer to the recycler. Coming back to what recyclers don't work for, which is pressurized systems, drinking water systems, and hot water systems, what systems do they work for, actually? At the moment, you mean? Yeah. If we look at today's business, we're using recyclates for wastewater systems for already more than 10 years. We also have product applications like the tree tank systems, for instance, where we're using products with 100% recyclates as well as inspection chambers. So there are several portfolios where we can add a lot of recyclates already. We have to bear in mind, though, it is something which is in transition and innovation takes place every day. And so we hope to have fine applications with recyclates also in the more difficult areas in the near future. Perfect. And those products, because they are based on recyclates, must have a really low carbon footprint compared to virgin materials. True. As a rule of thumb, you can take, as if you're using mechanically recycled raw materials, roughly a decrease of 70%, 70% of carbon footprint. Seven zero percent of decreasing of carbon footprint. Do you hear that, dear listener? So there is definitely an incentive to use recyclers. All right. So how do we go forward with hot water systems, drinking water systems, and pressurized systems in terms of bio-based materials? I want to know how can we apply bio-based polymers, and what are they? Where do they come from? Yeah, that's a good question because bio-base is also something like a little bit unclear term. What somebody understands bio-based could be something else compared to what I mean. Because if you talk about bio-based, you always have the biodegradable plastics and the non-biodegradable plastics. Biodegradable is not an option at the moment because biodegradable normally is degrading the product much quicker than our lifetime that we are designing for. For packaging, it's a great alternative because packaging has a short lifetime. But if we really talk about high-performing, long-lifetime products, we don't have a match yet. I am talking about a non-biodegradable plastics, so where the product is either created with a bio feedstock, and also for that in the generation that we have currently on the markets, that we have the bio-based additive raw material. So that means that the feedstock that is used to make the monomer and later the polymer by our suppliers is using a bio-based alternative instead of oil. For example? 
For example, do we have suppliers that provide polypropylene and polyethylene and PVC where the feedstock is replaced by a bio feedstock or even sometimes a biocircular feedstock? So that's, for instance, a waste stream from bio-based sources. And what are these sources? Is it food waste? Is it like timber products or some energy forests? What are these feedstocks? Well, the most well-known source is used cooking oil. So there's basically a waste stream of bio-based oils from which you can buy certain volumes and that can be used after processing as a basis for our polymers. And if we compare the lifetime of virgin-based polymers, pipes versus bio-based non-biodegradable pipes, how many years do these particular products in the same product category perform? If you talk about fossil-based, then we are able to produce with a long lifetime of 60 to 100 years, because we see what we get back from the market is still in a good shape and usable as a raw material again. So that's the recycling part. And the bio-based non-degradable, that's the same characteristics of fossils. So that's also stable for a long lifetime. So that's very comparable. Bio-based non-biodegradable pipe has comparable lifetime to fossil-based pipes. Yeah. That's what we expect. It's a relatively new technology, so we don't have pipes yet installed for 60 years, but chemically they are identical. So the performance is also expected as identical. Excellent. Do we have enough of recyclates available for our production volumes? And the same applies. Do we have enough bio-based resins to apply in our production? Uh, that's a good question. For bio-based, the answer is relatively simple. The answer is basically no, because we know there are not huge volumes yet available in the market to replace fossil virgin material. That's one thing. Another element which is also hindering the quick transition is price. Bio-based alternatives are still significantly more expensive, so we have to prepare the market for this transition also. So that's one other bottleneck. For recyclates, the answer is more interesting because it depends on who you ask. Because you could see on one hand, if you look at plastic waste, there's enough plastic waste around us in our society. So in that sense, the potential seems to be endless. However, we are not able yet to turn every kind of plastic waste into high-performing polymers again to put in our applications. For our product, we are looking for certain quality grades, but I'm convinced that we, as I said at the beginning, only 10% is now circular. So out of the also high-performing polymers, there's still a potential to rescue from the waste streams and bring back as a good raw material for production. So if I sum this up, you're skeptical about reusing household waste for creation of new pipes. However, if we rescue old pipes from construction, that could create these good streams that could be closed off. From our perspective as Bavin, I agree to what you say. Yeah. What would have to improve in order to upgrade household plastic waste in high quality piping products? That is basically what I referred to previously. So it's the variation in the quality. That's difficult because we have strict requirements. So we're looking for stable products, meaning we're looking for stable raw materials. So if there's a variability in the raw material, that, that's a challenge for us. And also, we are looking for a product with a lifetime of 60 to 100 years. And most plastics from household plastics are coming from packaging, which have been designed years ago for a much shorter lifetime. So there's also kind of disconnect in characteristics. Right. Apart from the used up cooking oil, that would be perfect for yeah. production of bio-based non-biodegradable piping products. 
Do we yeah. have other alternatives available than the cooking oil? We are working on that, yeah. At the moment, the used-up cooking oil is the best option for bio-based products. That's something you could buy today. And there are some nice, promising, innovative technologies, but they are still unmature and still expensive. But I believe it's good to invest in that because used cooking oil will not grow. I mean, unless we all start frying uh, globally, but that will not happen. So the vo available volume of used cooking oil will not increase. And, you know, we also biodiesels are made from that. So there's also competition from other sectors on the same volume. So I think it's good to put your attention and money and innovation power on new other technologies from bio-based sources. If we go over to the bio-based, non-biodegradable polymers, are we not creating the same problem again, that we would apply materials that would be non-reusable, non-recyclable? Yeah. I mean, are yeah. these bio-based, non-biodegradable polymers a way to the future that's also recyclable in the future? Very good point. It's sometimes a missed element, I believe. Some uh, people say if we switch to bio-based, we have solved all our problems, which is not the case, of course, because we still have a linear business model. So we have to make sure that the materials are not only made from bio-based sources, but also designed in such a way that we can reuse the components of the raw materials again after their lifetime. And that's a different cup of tea in addition to looking at alternative raw materials. We talked about certain technical hindrances, such as the lack of quality of recyclates. But are there any other hindrances inside, such as legislation hindrances or certifications? Yeah. For instance, in some markets still, recyclates are still being perceived as lower quality. I think that's a little bit outdated perception of recyclates, and that means we have to put energy and time in convincing markets and customers that it is a very good alternative, that you basically get the same pipe with the same performance, but with a much more attractive footprint. Legally, for instance, if we would have laws to speed up the transition to low-carbon feedstocks, that would be very helpful in making this transition much quicker than what currently takes place. And the other elements, which is standardization and certification, that's not a legal element, but it's, of course, also a way of working in our industry, which is slowing down innovation. There are some good parts about standardization and certification, for sure. But on the other hand, we have been adjusting standards and certificates in such a way that it is very difficult to introduce a new methodology and a new way of working. And that is also blocking a little bit the uh, sustainable innovation. Now imagine you get the magic wand and you get three magical wishes, three swipes of the wand. What would you change yeah. and to what stakeholders would you send that change to? Ooh. <laughs> the biggest stakeholder we have to convince is ourselves. You mean Wagen? Yeah, to start with. I mean, we also have to look into the mirror because technology-wise, there's a lot more possible. And I think we are capable of doing much more than we do today. So if you want to facilitate change, the first thing you have to do, convince yourself that change is possible. Right? So that's, I think, also our responsibility as a manufacturer to look into the mirror and see, yes, we can do this. We know how to do this. It may take some time, but let's start today. Because if we want to lead the pack, then we also have to believe in our own competencies. And I think we have them on board. We have experience. We just need to scale up and move quicker than we do today. I know there are also some brave customers. 
in the market. So I think I would really love to collaborate with those and, uh, and move the needle. Because if with customers we can create a demand and from there we can go to suppliers. Hey, dear supplier, we're looking for something else than what we did in the past. Right. And when you say work with the customer, what do you mean? Well, you can see in the way the business is run. We have guidelines, rules, standards, certificates. It's basically uh, holding us back, and I believe, to innovate quicker. And it's good to work with customers. Okay, what is your policy? What's your strategy? Where does it fit with our strategy? Where can we collaborate? Where can we perhaps invest together? Where can we try to move the needle and try something new? And basically set the new standards for the industry. I would love to work with those brave customers. Awesome. And what would be the third sway of the wand? Maybe could be I'm hesitating a little bit between certification bodies on one hand and suppliers on the other hand. That's okay. Um, We grant you one more sway yeah. with the wand. So what would you do with the suppliers? Similar as with customers, basically, because they start up and new initiatives, making sure that it becomes like bio-based, make sure that technologies that are very immature yet can grow and become more efficient and that we can generate some economy of skill there. Right. And with the certification bodies and standard makers? Try to convince them that they also have to move the needle, basically. I mean, as you know, standardization certification is always a little bit behind when it comes to innovation. And uh, let's also be honest, they have a role to play also. I mean, if they want to take responsibility and sustainability, they also have to adapt to the new reality. Right. Let's call it an action plan, standard makers and certificators. All right, Ronald, if we sum this up. So basically, yeah. we do not have enough bio-based material to create these bio-based non-biodegradable products. There is a plentiful quantity of recyclers. However, they have a rank quality and you definitely are not happy with the quality. So quality of recyclers must be pimped up. The recyclers could be used in stormwater systems or foul water systems, for example. But I think we have not yet answered what happens in 100 years. Let's say we solve in the coming years all the problems and hindrances and bottlenecks we've talked about today. Let's imagine our grand-grand-grand-grand-grandchildren will have to now recycle and reuse the old piping and excavate them. What kind of problems will most likely they have? Energies from now. Do we have one more hour left, David? David? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we have one minute left. I can try to make a picture of how our world looks like in 100 years, but it doesn't bring us forward. The way forward is that we identify the opportunity of today and tomorrow. There's a nice thing. You don't have to see the whole stairs to take the first step. And that's what I apply in my daily work. You're listening to the podcast The Weaves of Varvin. In this episode, the light upon recycled and organic plumbing was well shed by Ronald Ball, the circularity manager at Varvin. Now, Ronald got me thinking that there is only one container for all the plastics, both soft and hard, where I live. Though Ronald was skeptical about household waste providing good enough monostreams for recycled piping, I'd still wish for an improved sorting system for plastics 
Dear municipality, thank you. And a reminder, dear contractor, if you're about to excavate some old plastic pipes, you might want to give Bavin a call. We'd be happy to recycle them old fossil pipes, and you might perhaps be happy to check out new pipes for your construction project in one sweep. That was all about the future of recycled and organic plumbing for today. If you found this episode interesting, we'd appreciate you hitting that subscribe button. Tell your branch colleagues about us, so that there'd be more of us surfing the waves of Varvin. In the next episode, we will discuss how to significantly cut down the energy use in our buildings. My name is David Yerot, and I hear you next time. Take care.